listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19 here this morning. And I want to start out with a question. First of all, how many things in life go exactly as you have planned them? Very, very little, isn't that right? Um, How many things this past week, when you started out a week ago when you left church or or last Monday morning, fresh start to the week, how many of your weeks went exactly how you planned? I mean, for some of you, maybe it was a good week and everything just kind of went just the way it should. Uh, That oftentimes isn't the case. I mean, our plans get interrupted. They get changed. On, On Tuesday, I found out our washing machine was no longer working, and, and that kind of interrupted some, some plans for this week. It also included a lot of banging the thing, you know, like try everything, and then if that doesn't work, shake it up and, you know what, rattle it, and, and maybe something will get triggered. Yep, that didn't work, and, and, and life is kind of like that. We wanted to deliver these flyers on Wednesday night. We couldn't because of the rain, and so we kind of had to alter our plans a little bit, and, and so some of these kind of things happen, and, and oftentimes, in the bigger scheme of life, not just a week at a time, but in the bigger plans and and events of life, we plan things out and then they don't go quite as we thought or what we had been hoping. And, and for instance, I mean, before you're married, you kind of think, oh, marriage is going to be so awesome. It's just going to be this endless bliss and love and honeymoon. And I know people kind of, you know what, th- their love kind of cools off. But it's not going to happen for us. It's going to be different. And, you know, and, and, and so then that, that bubble get, gets burst like a month. Or uh, I remember one couple, they got married right around the same time Charlotte and I. I mean, the biggest shock came on their wedding night. Just all of a sudden, it's just like, I've married a man who's a mess. And, and, and so, I mean, and that wasn't Charlotte, um, although that probably is true, the last part of it. But, um, uh, you know what, and then you think, oh, you know, you see other people with kids and you think, well, my kids are going to be a lot different than those kids. When I have kids, you know, I'm going to discipline them. And when I say something, they're going to listen to me. And, yeah, and, and that doesn't quite go as plans and, as we plan it. Or um, plans for education or a career or, or kind of the kind of house we're going to have or the kind of car we're going to purchase and 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 we have these plans but oftentimes it doesn't go quite as we thought i remember thinking when i was in college and was studying to become a pastor i kind of thought oh man pastor that's gonna be awesome especially if i'm a youth pastor youth young adults you know kind of start out you know i get my foot in the door that way People are just going to love me, and it's just going to be this great thing where it's just like, oh, pastor, we just love you, and just think, yeah, that doesn't quite happen, and, and, and that expectation or that dream kind of got crushed early on in, in ministry. When we moved to Alberta from Saskatchewan, Charlotte and I as a young couple, we just thought, oh my goodness, we're just going to be in this small kind of blue-collar hick town, like short period of time like this is stepping stone kind of thing we are not going to be here very long because it yeah we were there 14 years and that 14 years could have been even extended it was it was hard to leave it was hard to say goodbye then about five years ago as we were making plans to to move to Kelowna sensing the Lord calling us I mean we had certain ideas and dreams and expectations and thought it would go a certain way and no it didn't go quite the way that we planned 
All of us would have stories like this. We could sit around and have lunch together at the food court at Orchard Park Mall, which uh, uh, you may do from, from time to time, and you could sit around with friends, or you can sit in a home, and you can talk out in the lobby afterwards and, and be able to talk about plans that didn't go as you had planned. Well, today we are going to be remembering, we're going to be looking at, we've been celebrating Palm Sunday when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem in the, this mighty triumphant entry, but really maybe it could also be called a tearful entry into Jerusalem for Jesus. And on that day, people were pumped, they were pretty excited because they had been waiting for this long-awaited Messiah and, and things were just building like it just couldn't get any better. I mean, the, the, the drama in this story is just massive and everything, there's all these little storylines going along and, and the crowd had certain expectations, the religious leaders had certain expectations and, and, and all of this was building towards the Passover celebration. This was the time that the Israelites came together every year and it was such an important event. So we're going to read in Luke chapter 19 starting in verse 29. And this is Jesus just outside of Jerusalem. It says in verse 29, When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You say to them this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners came, said to them, why are you untying the colt? And, and they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that, had been, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. What took place in the days to come, no one except Jesus saw coming. The religious leaders, they finally thought, okay, we have Jesus. we got to get him. We're very close. The arrest warrant had already been issued for him. Judas would have his money. The disciples, their place in Jesus' cabinet. The crowds were cheering because they saw this was the Messiah. Yet they all had certain ideas. They had certain plans, certain expectations. And they all missed it. And if we aren't careful, we can easily miss the significance of this first Easter and even it being our first Easter together as a church. There was so much drama that was going on and, and all kinds of other details. And so today I'm going to kind of pull together a lot of the sort of storylines that you see from the other three Gospels, from their uh, renditions, if you want to say, the different angles that the other Gospel writers have here on this story. And so we're going to kind of work through this story and we're going to see who missed what was really going on here. And I hope today we can paint a picture of to see what was going on, to see the storylines, and perhaps find ourselves 
in this story. Ever since Luke chapter 9, if you were to back it up, 10 chapters from where we just finished reading, Jesus was on a mission to get Jerusalem, and from 9 to 19 was kind of his slow progression getting there. And ever since, just prior to, to this passage, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And it was shortly after him raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus went kind of into hiding. His public ministry had basically come to an end at this point. Because the popularity, people were crowding in, they wanted to see him. So on this day before Palm Sunday, so it was on a Sunday that he came riding into Jerusalem. The day before that, he was with his friends. He was in a little village called Bethany, and he was at the house of Simon. And as he was at Simon's house, there they were enjoying a fantastic meal together. The disciples were there, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Who doesn't enjoy a great feast with friends? Yeah. Hands up, come on, show, show your life, little, little, okay, good, good, good to see that. You enjoy a good time with friends. So this was a party going on. There was only one person who probably was a little choked about being there, and that was Lazarus. You know, because, you know, I mean, he was up in heaven. He, he had a number of days up in heaven, and he got to experience the glories of heaven, and he's like, oh, I'm back here on earth. This kind of stinks, you know, but sure, you know, friends, good food, I guess it will be okay. And, um, you know, and, and so here they are in this room, Full of people. Have you ever been to one of these kind of events I just described with family, friends, feasting, a good time? But there's also a little bit of tension in the air because that person is here. You know who I'm talking about. That person who everyone's kind of questioning and kind of wondering about. And, and, uh, or else because of some certain events that had taken place, there was you know, just extra tension that can sometimes take place at a family or a friend event. And so everyone's kind of walking on eggshells and wondering if this drama is going to play out. And Well, you see, in this room as they were feasting, there was also some real strong love happening in this room and there was also some serious hate going on. There is massive tension taking place in this room. You see, what happens is they're feasting together. Mary comes along, and she takes this expensive perfume, and she, she washes Jesus' feet with it. It was so expensive, it was worth a year's wages. And she was just pouring out her love to Jesus, just, just her appreciation and her love for, for who Jesus was, and, and, and just showing him this, this serious gratitude by washing his feet with this expensive perfume. Well, here's the love, but then there's the hate because Judas, he is just ticked with this. He's, he's you know, that money could have been used to, to feed the poor. We could have taken that money and put it in the treasury. But everyone also knew he was a thief, that he was also taking the money out of the treasury and lining his own pockets with it. And, and so he was pulling the spiritual kind of, you know, well, we could use this to feed the poor. But he was just ticked that he didn't have this money to kind of line his own pockets. And so, so you have this room filled with this tension. On the outside of the room, there are, or outside of the house, there's a crowd that's building because they want to see Lazarus. It's, well, and Jesus, but it's like, we need to see this. I mean, we were at the funeral. He was dead. I mean, he was, you know, I mean, stuff was already started. His body was decomposing. It was getting pretty nasty. And, and he was, I got to see it for myself. So outside the party house here where the party's going on, there's this crowd that, that's building. And, you know, Lazarus, Lazarus, you know, going on. And, well, they maybe weren't yelling that, but they wanted to definitely see him. So maybe they were even, you know, just yelling. They, they, they wanted to see him. Maybe the, the Jerusalem Post reporters were all there. I don't know how it all worked out. But, you know, there's this, this is all going on. The crowd is gathering. And so the next day, oh, just to back up. So all of this activity has really ticked off the religious leaders. They are so upset. 
with this about especially this Lazarus raising him from the dead was the final straw. This was going to be, you know, just, just that was it. So they, they issued the arrest warrant for Jesus. And, and you read about this in John chapter 12. A, a good chunk of what I'm, I'm sharing with you is from, from John's gospel on this. And in, in John chapter 12, they said, let's get Jesus arrested. They were going to wait till after the Passover. But because of this whole Lazarus deal and the way everything was happening, it was just like, we, we just got to get it done. Get our hands on him. You see Jesus. Take him. We're going to arrest him. And then they said, oh, let's kill Lazarus too. You know, this guy's just a royal pain. So you know what? If you see Lazarus, orders to shoot. Order to just take him out. Just let, let, let's have him dead. And, and it says in verse 19 of John 12, and, and, and they're so upset because it says, the many people left to follow Jesus, and it says the world has gone after him, the religious leaders were saying. So, party's over. Everyone's in bed, sleeping. Next day, Sunday comes along, first day of the week. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is all abuzz. There's lots of excitement going on in Jerusalem because Jews from all over were coming to get ready to celebrate for the Passover, which was coming the, the next weekend. And Jews would arrive early because there's certain purification rituals. And it was also a party. And so, so they would come together in, in this way. The Jerusalem population around this time was about 40,000 people. Approximately, give or take, not exactly sure. You read uh, a number of different things, but around you know what, forty thousand people, the population of Jerusalem. Well, according to uh, the amount of lambs that were brought into Jerusalem, there's a historical census that you read about this that that they brought in two hundred and fifty six thousand lambs into Jerusalem for the Passover because this is where they took and remembered um, the, their delivery from Egypt, where they would would, would slay. Uh, a lamb, and they would paint the, the doorpost with the blood, and, and it was their delivery. And so they reenacted this every year. They, they, they would go through this, and it was basically 256,000 lambs, and basically it was one lamb for about every 10 people. And so there was anywhere from two and a half to three million people in Jerusalem camping, tenting. There's, there's fire, you know, campfire smoke going on. People are cooking, they're enjoying this wonderful time. So there's this feast going on. But Jerusalem this year is even all the more buds they're wondering is Jesus around you think Jesus is going to show up that'd be so cool I'm hearing so much about him he's doing so many great things in in around the the whole region this Jesus from Nazareth you think he's going to show up at the Passover and 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 so there's this buzz going on people are wondering if he's going to show up and you know it'd be so good to have Jesus show up for the Passover and 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 so all of this is going on and just as Jesus and the disciples get outside the outskirts of Jerusalem he orders for them to go get him a donkey. Now, he doesn't do this because he's tired. I mean, that would be like, you know what, I mean, he started out on a nice long walk, and it would be, you know what, let's say you were in kind of on Harvey Street and uh, on Highway 97, and you wanted to walk here to Dr. Knox School on a Sunday morning. So you start walking, and it's right when you get to Crossroad, you know, just basically to the corner that all of a sudden you say, oh, I'm really tired. Could, could somebody get me... Uh, you know, uh, give me a ride or something like that. It made no sense in some ways. Jesus wasn't tired. That's not why he ordered this donkey. But the reason why he did it was to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9. It says, Behold your king coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, for Jesus to ride on a donkey, this was making a statement, believe it or not, of kingship, that he was a king. You say, well, the donkey doesn't seem like it was a very regal kind of a 
mode of transportation, but, but actually it was. In Bible days, a king would ride on a donkey, a donkey that had never been ridden um, before, and he would, or he would ride on a white horse. Donkey or white horse. And, and both of these would make a certain statement. The white horse, if a king came riding on a white horse, it was a symbol of war. It was a symbol of let's get after it, let's get rolling kind of thing. And, and he was making a statement that he was in charge, he was in control, and we're going to war. And a king would ride on a donkey as a symbol of peace. He comes in peace. And so Jesus was making a statement here in this story of I'm coming into Jerusalem, but I come as the prince of peace. I bring shalom, bring peace. Revelation 19, we read that the next time that Jesus comes, what's he going to be on? Not going to be a donkey. Next time Jesus comes, he's going to be on a white horse, declaring war, declaring judgment. He will come as the king of kings, the lord of lords. Well, the news spreads, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and, and, and so he's coming into Jerusalem, and so the crowd that's in Jerusalem doing the camping, getting ready for the Passover, they all come to meet Jesus. The crowd that came from Bethany, you know, the people that were, you know, the paparazzi that was out around, Lazarus, you know, around the house where Lazarus was, and, and the disciples, they're all coming, and you come together in this great big kind of, you know, what, almost like a scrum of people that, that are together. Boom, you have like 10,000 people. And they start yelling, or tens of thousands of people, and they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, which was saying, save us now. They're saying, save us now, save us now. You know, and they're getting this chant going, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're quoting from Psalm chapter 18. Every young Jewish boy would have learned this psalm. They were preparing for this psalm. They were hoping the Messiah would become because this was the psalm that, that speaks about the conquering king. This, this speaks about the Messiah coming. And, and in Psalm 118, even the verse even says in there, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're celebrating this. And, and, and another thing they're doing, they're taking palm branches because palm branches, palm trees are a symbol of strength and also were a symbol of salvation. So in this, you have these crowds coming together. And you know, every time, whenever a crowd comes together to celebrate a victory or something like that, it can sometimes turn into a bit of a riot, can't it? I remember when I was in, uh, a youth pastor in Saskatoon, the Blue Jays won the World Series. And uh, it was a Saturday night. There was a big, I mean, it was... I'll never forget it. We are a bunch of us young adults. We're all watching the game together, and and uh, and they won. And and so people were like, "Let's go celebrate!" And 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 I went to bed because I had to be at church early the next day. And so I went home. I went to bed. But a bunch of them went, and they went to Eighth Street, kind of the party street on Saskatoon. And what ended up happening? There were so many people, and the crowds came out that a riot erupted and they started doing all this vandalism and, and not our young adults, I don't think, but some of them thought it was kind of cool and so they kind of went into the crowd because they heard they were getting sprayed with tear gas and they wanted to experience it, so some of them got sprayed with tear gas. And, and, uh, you know, and, and so it was funny, we ended up with a basketball franchise in some little minor league a, a number of years later and they called it the Saskatoon Riot because it was named after the riot that happened when the Blue Jays won the World Series. Well, you don't even have to win something in order for there to be a riot, right, Vancouver? Vancouver Canuck fans? 
Now, you can lose something and there becomes a riot, and uh, we're not going to talk about that because uh, that's still in the courts and uh, still, still things going on with that. And, and when Vancouver almost won the cup, uh, well, yeah, that happened, and there's all kinds of property damage. Well, here on this occasion, tens of thousands of people coming together, they're laying down their coats as a sign of sacrifice, a sign of honor, and they, they're ripping off tree branches. I'm sure Jerusalem Town Council, after Passover, had a look. What are we going to do to repair all these? You think about it. You have thousands of people ripping off these, these palm branches and, you know, and to wave them. And afterwards, it's like, look at the mess these Passover people leave here, you know? And, 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 and so you have this going on, and, and, and you have palm branches. Can you just see what's going on? And, and, and there's all this emotion and excitement. And, and in verse 41, we pretty much hit the climax of it as people are cheering and and putting down, sacrificing their coats and, and, and in honor. They're waving these palm branches. They're laying down the palm branches. And, and all of this is happening in verse 41. We see Jesus' reaction. And it says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept. Jesus was weeping and the crowds were cheering. Why was Jesus weeping? Because he saw what was really going on in their hearts. He saw what would happen in Jerusalem in the days, in the years, in the decades. I believe Jesus was even weeping because he would see what what would be happening in Jerusalem in 2015. He sees how people have just missed it. How they've missed the truth of the gospel. So on that day, there were basically two groups of people that both ended up missing what was really going on. The first group that missed what was going on that day, they had certain expectations. It was the religious leaders. Their expectations, let's get this guy arrested. Let's just get him out of here. These were devout religious men. Jesus, uh, but to to them, Jesus was also an incredible threat. They were the rule keepers. They were the ones that, that kept the law, the Old Testament law, to a T. In fact, they would compete with one another to see who would be more spiritual, who, who, who could do more spiritual activities. And they had actually taken the Old Testament laws. Now get this. They take the Old Testament laws and they turn them into 613 rules, 248 commands. They added to the, the Ten Commandments, because they thought, well, we got to up these a little bit more. They made 365 prohibitions as well. In fact, they went so far, so many of them, to avoid breaking the third commandment about taking the Lord's name in vain. They actually even refused to say the name of God because they just didn't want to, by chance, say it in the wrong kind of inflection or in the wrong way or in the wrong sentence. And, and so they did that. There was also some of them would actually, they were called the bleeding Pharisees because to avoid any kind of sexual temptation, they would walk with their heads down. And because they would walk with their heads down, they would walk into walls or trees or, or different things. Like, like that is a stated fact that they were just competing so much because they wanted to be so spiritual. And this Jesus guy comes and he's saying, the law is nothing. I've come to abolish the law. You have come to do What? I mean, they're upset, they're ticked, they're upset that, that this guy's coming in and ruining their control, their power. The crowds, they're turning to him. I mean, listen to the crowds. Tens of thousands of them yelling and, 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 and praising him. And Even though these men knew the Old Testament scriptures, 
They knew the prophecies regarding the Messiah. They missed it. How could they be so blind? Because you know what? Pride is blind. When we're full of pride, we become blind to anything else. We become blind to our weakness. We become even blind to the truth because it's about us being right. I don't care what that, you know, enemy. Aren't us guys sometimes a little bit like that? I don't know. I could, who needs a map? I can find my way there, you know. And, 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 you know, thankfully, you know what, now with GPSs on phones and different things, it kind of can make you look a little bit more like a hero if you have your phone in between your legs while you're driving and, and you can find a place a little easier than, uh, you know. Um, but, but before we had these kind of, well, you know, we don't need a map. And, and we can sometimes be dead wrong before we actually admit that we're lost, you know. And, and uh, just like the Pharisees, they had pride in their past. In their past accomplishments, they had, had pride in their present and, and how well they could keep the law, and, and they totally missed Jesus. They issued the arrest warrant for Jesus, hoping to deal with him, and it's just like, we've got to stop this guy. We're losing our authority. We're losing our control. Like Everyone's turning to him, and, and we've got to stop it. You know what? It can be very easy for us to miss the truth of the gospel in our lives. It can be very easy for us people today to become spiritual Pharisees. We have our Christian life down to certain rituals and lifestyle. And, and we've done it for years. And, and, and we kind of got this Christian life kind of figured out. There's do's and there's don'ts. And if I don't do these things, that's a good thing. And, I, you know what, and when I do these things, you know what, I, I try to make it right. And, you know, but, but you know what, we kind of got this figured out. And no one's going to tell me any different how I should live my life. And, and, and yeah, I know God's word says that, but we start justifying, well, everyone else is doing it, and so I can do it. And, you know, and, and one thing or another. And, and, uh, and somewhere in there, the spiritual, our spiritual life just becomes going through the, the motions, and you can be involved, you can roll up your sleeves, you can be committed in all kinds of different ways when it comes to serving Christ, but, but, but basically our hearts have become hard. Our hearts have become full of pride, spiritual pride in our accomplishments in the past or in a heritage of you know, faithfully serving God and, 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 and the things maybe on a spiritual resume. And, and in the end, we can just really miss the new work that he wants to do in our lives. We may look like we're doing all the right stuff, saying all the right stuff, and it is so possible to have lips that are honoring the King of Kings and have hearts that have drifted so far away. It's like we're saying one thing and it's just like, I don't even believe it. I don't even know if I believe it. In 2 Timothy, Paul talks about having a form of godliness but no power. The Christian life is, is designed for us to have power. And to experience his power, his strength, his joy, his victory in all circumstances. That's, that's how it's been designed for us. But we can easily just kind of turn that aside. For the Pharisees, it became about power and control and don't mess with things. How dare you tell me how I should live? And they were threatened. Threatened as soon as, and very quick to criticize. Very quick to see the faults in others. And that can easily become our own hearts. Another group that was present there that day that totally missed what was going on, they call them the religious consumers. These were people who completely missed it in and of themselves. These were the people that were there cheering, like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. 
Jesus, save us now. Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and they're pumped and, and they're excited. That they're putting down their coats. They're waving the palm branches because, man, this Jesus, he is just amazing. I mean, remember how he fed the 5,000 people with just some loaves and fish? That was so awesome. Were you there? I was there. Yeah, I was there. You know, well, I wasn't there, but I heard it was just amazing. And there was like 12 baskets left over. Oh, that is so cool. You know, I mean, we have a king who will feed us if we're hungry. Uh, he, he healed the sick. I mean, there, there wasn't an illness. It wasn't a disease that he couldn't conquer. He cast out demons, those who were being afflicted by, by, by evil spirits for years and years. He was able, just in speaking the word, was able to set them free. You even hear that one time when he cast out those demons into the pigs, and, and the pigs, they went running over the cliff and were like, woo, gone. You know, and, and it was just, that was so cool what he did. Calm the storm. The disciples were all on the boat, and he calmed the storm. I even heard that Peter walked on the water. I'd love to see that again. That would be so cool if Jesus could do that. And so, so all of this is going on. You're like, we love Jesus. You know, we love what he can do for us. And he's, he's, he's going to make all of our dreams come true. He's going to dethrone the Romans once and for all. He's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. I could really get into having King Jesus because he's a guy who's going to take care of us. If we're hungry, hey, Jesus, I need some food. Can you feed us? Hey, you know what, Jesus, my mother-in-law is sick. Well, maybe you shouldn't heal her. Oh, yeah, go ahead and heal her. You know, and, and I mean, this is what Jesus could do for me. Life would be better with Jesus. You know, I noticed that as we're approaching a federal election here in Canada that uh, there's... Um, a, a, a um, slogan for, for, for Harper um, that is uh, better off with Harper, you know, and I think they could have come up maybe with a little bit better slogan because it, it just doesn't really sound super uplifting, but, but it's kind of like better off with Harper. And, and so these folks are figuring, you know what, life would be better off with Jesus. So, I mean, let's crown him king. Let's go. We're in. We're all for Jesus. But these people weren't true disciples. You see that they were consumers. Because ultimately, there was one king that they were ready and prepared to worship, and it was King Me. It was King Me that they were going to worship. And I think we have a little picture to go with that that kind of describes that. Yeah, I'm on the throne. I'm wearing the crown. If you're female, you're the princess. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm the queen, I'm the princess, and, and everything needs to revolve around me. And, and if Jesus kind of can fit into my plans, and, and he can raise the dead, and, and heal the sick, and do all of these things, great, I'm for him. If not, forget him. If he's not going to give me... And we see how fickle this crowd was from one day yelling, Hosanna, save us, you're our king, to the few days later yelling, crucify him. Get him out of here. We want Barabbas. We love Barabbas. You know, and, 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 and we don't, you know, like, get rid of this Jesus guy. Kill him. Crucify him. And, and this is how easily we can easily become religious consumers. I'll give. I'll serve if there's an advantage for me. I'll give. I'll, I'll serve. I'll, I'll live for Jesus. I'll take a stand. I'll, I'll, I'll do what I need to do and, 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 and live my life for him as long as it doesn't cost me too much. You know what? I'm here for a good time, not necessarily a long time. I'll attend church when I kind of feel like it or, you know, um, you know, just if I'm a little tired, a little... What if Jesus, you know, when it came to forgiving our sins, was like, oh, I'm a little tired. I'm not forgiving those sins. Forget it. You're going to have to suffer for those sins. What if he was like that when it came to our salvation? And so easily we can be just, just 
just top-rate just consumers. It's just like it's got to fit into, into my nice little schedule. And, and yet, it's so easy to say, well, I attend church every Sunday and, and become a Pharisee. And, and it's just like, oh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to be either one of these. What am I to do? How am I to live my life? And, and Jesus taught about sacrifice. He ca- taught about commitment. He said, if you're going to follow me, not going to be easy. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Here's the good thing, that when we bear our cross today, others will hear the gospel tomorrow. God blesses it when we bear that cross. And over the years, I've watched this happen as I've been in ministry for a number of years now. And I've watched people who have come to church hurting, searching, hoping that Jesus will help. And, and really, in, in some ways, they're just looking for a quick fix. Kind of just hit me with a little Jesus. Hit me with a little bit just to kind of get me going again. And I remember in one church, uh, this one family would come, and, and it even happened before I was even there. And, and I kind of understood this from some of the church leaders, that, that some people, this one family would just show up whenever there was problems going on. And, you know, whether it was with their children or their marriage or somebody who was sick and dying or somebody had cancer. And, and, and they had a lot of things going on in their life. And, and they would come for, you know, a, a month or two. They would join up with a small group. They would be part of, you know, at the church and, 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 and just so into it. And then, then all of a sudden the problems got, you know, it kind of went away or they kind of just got used to it. And, and, that. and then they just kind of drift off and they become very uh, vacant. And, and, I mean, you couldn't get hold of them. You, you know, just, well, what's going on here? And then a few months later, a year or two later, you'd see them again, and there was another crisis, and people would love them and care for them. And, and it was just like they're so missing it because it's so much more than, than just what Jesus can do for us and just kind of give us that Jesus shot. He, he desires to, to walk with us, to help us, to guide us every step of the way. And you say, um, oh, but that's terrible. Um, you know, people shouldn't be like that when it comes to Jesus. You know what? Probably truth be known, if we all to look at our own lives, we can all be like that. The way that we turn to him in a crisis and we get more serious and then it eases up and we kind of take our foot off the pedal, so to speak. Jesus desires to be so much more than that. It's easy to just to kind of settle in and... and uh, you know, I've been saved, I've been baptized, I, I give some money, I do these kind of things, and now I just can kind of coast along. No, there's more. There's more. He wants to take you deeper. He wants to give you more of himself. And, and, and we do that as we give him more of ourselves, as we continually continue to keep surrendering ourselves to him. The religious people missed out on Jesus. The consumers missed out on Jesus. And what was Jesus doing in this whole situation? Jesus, he was weeping. Jesus was weeping. He saw the real hearts. He saw what was really going on in their lives. And in John 2, we kind of get another picture into what Jesus could see. In, in John chapter 2, it talks about how many people were, were believing in Jesus. And, and it says, because of his miracles. They, they love the miracles. It's just like, do that again. And let's follow him. This is really, really good. It's, it, this is a really awesome show that, that he's putting on for us. But it says John 2, he says... He didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in them. He could see their hearts. He knew what was going on. And you know what? All of us at one point or another can find ourselves in one of these two camps, even today. 
On this Palm Sunday, 2,000 years later, there's one place we need to find ourselves amongst the crowd that will keep us from missing and staying out of this area. And that is by living at the foot of the cross. When we are living at the foot of the cross, there we are seeing things in the right perspective. You see, the bad news, we're all guilty of either being Pharisees or being consumers. But the best news is that God loves and forgives us as guilty people. And it's at the foot of the cross where we come and surrender. Where we come and we say, thank you, Jesus, and we cry out to him. First of all, we cry out to him for salvation. We cry out to him in repentance when we mess up. And, and we, we say to him, no, thank you, God, thank you that you saved me. And, and when we get tempted to kind of look at our own accomplishments and become proud and start comparing ourselves with others, and we need to, again, look at Jesus and look at the cross and look at his sacrifice and see what he accomplished on our behalf. And it sobers us and it reminds us to get back to the foot of the cross. You see, it's at the foot of the cross where we find our salvation, but it's also at the foot of the cross where we find the fuel to live our lives that keeps us out of the Pharisee camp and keeps us out of the consumer camp. Remember last week we set up that ladder and, and, and how we are so consumed with climbing the ladder of success and, and allowing people to see all that we've done and, and, and knowing our accomplishments and, and we're so busy climbing the ladder and Jesus started out at the top, left the glory of heaven and came right down to the bottom. We're so consumed with going up the ladder, he was consumed with coming down. And when we live at the foot of the cross, we remember in a sober way how Jesus came down. That it's not always about us having to be right. It's not about us having to win every argument. It's not about us just kind of doing the religious check marks. It's not us just running to Jesus for that quick, quick kind of fix. It's running to him day in and day out. There's a song that Vertical Church Band sings, and there's this line in, in the song that just, even this week as I was listening to it, just, just kind of, just wrecked me in, in, in a way. Just kind of see what he has done. And as we think of the gospel, as we think of the cross, and, and here's this line. It says, God of glory, see your victory story in the lives of those who gather at the cross. That when we gather together as individuals, as believers, as a church, and we gather at the foot of the cross, that's a victory story. Because we are giving all the glory and the praise to him. We are coming to him in humility. And what did he do at the cross? He conquered it. He was victorious. And that is the real victory. And that victory gets imparted to us and we can experience spiritual victory. And the moment we start to get proud, we're at the foot of the cross. We give it back to him. It's at the foot of the cross as we surrender comes the fuel by which we live. Let's pray together. Father, we don't want to miss what was going on in our lives even here today. We don't want to miss that you are working today and you desire to restore and forgive and bring salvation and bring healing. And it's not about 
just going through religious rules and regulations. It's, it's about a real life, real relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, we just don't want to be consumers and just kind of just take from you. We want to also give back to you. We, and the greatest way we give back to you is saying, here I am in full surrender. And as we surrender ourselves to you, Father, there's life. There's victory. There's victory over sin. There's victory over temptation. There's victory over pride because pride can blind us. Pride makes it about my way and no other way. And at the foot of the cross, that gets broken when we look and see what you did for us, Jesus, out of love. And even as we worship you now, we sing this song in worship and kind of declaration of this man of sorrows. Now on that rugged cross, oh my salvation, there your love poured out over me. I pray that indeed we would be able to worship you here today, not just with our words, but with our hearts just growing in anticipation for Easter, but our hearts growing in anticipation of what you will do in our lives individually as we live at the foot of the cross this week. Lord, we know that you have come to set us free and to bring life and victory and we just claim that and believe that in your powerful name, Jesus.